You're listening to Sphera Now, a podcast for environmental health, safety, and quality professionals around the globe. This is brought to you by Sphera, the largest global provider of integrated risk management software and information services with a focus on environmental health and safety, operational risk, and product stewardship. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Sphero Now podcast, a program focused on safety, sustainability, and productivity issues. I'm James Tarani, Sparks Editor-in-Chief. Today we will be discussing the latest IPCC report findings, as well as the upcoming COP26 conference with Hannes Partel, Sphero's Director of Sustainability Consulting. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hannes. How are you? Good afternoon, James. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, so before we begin talking about the IPCC report, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how long you've been studying sustainability? Yep, uh, sure, James. I, I, I actually, I started uni, university in the late 70s. That was at a time where there was no university or, or branch of study for environmental sciences or environmental management. So. I decided to go to the university, which was called Natural Resources and Life Sciences in, in Vienna, which back then was focused on agriculture, forestry, water management, and, and, and food sciences. So for me, this was the closest to, to environment and sustainability and circularity. And that's why I went there and actually graduated with a master in agricultural engineering. I then worked for a couple of years in the, in the, in the, in the forestry commission on the on a temporary contract analyzing uh, the impacts of, you know, anthropogenic emissions on alpine soils. And then uh, from then on, I, I co-founded the first office in Austria, which was, uh, uh, you know, selling environmental engineering, consulting and planning services, particularly in the fields of waste management and recycling. And, and this is where, you know, in the late 80s and the early 90s, life cycle assessment started to play a role. Sure. And it was before it, this was before the first international LCA standard was developed. But and so it went on, and over the years we developed a couple more of those, you know, boutique consultancies with just uh, you know 15, 20 people, being the first ones also to offer LCA services in a commercial environment. And for personal reasons, living on on different continents for a couple of decades, we then sold these small businesses to larger players. And over the last 12, 13 years, I've been working as a a consulting director for Sphera, where we also provide such services, predominantly in the in in, in the private sector, uh, and at Sphera also you know supported by by software and databases, which uh, enables both the clients and and us to 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 scale. Excellent. Okay, um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about the IPCC report. So as you know, in August they released the, the newest version of the report. And at the time, the UN Secretary General immediately called the findings a code red for humanity. And he also said, the alarm bells are deafening and the evidence is irrefutable. So it doesn't get much dire than that. Were you surprised at all by this messaging or is that what you were hoping to hear from him? <laughs> well, I, I was certainly not hoping to hear such a dire message. I mean, climate change is nothing new. It was 20, 25 years ago, there was already a common understanding amongst almost all societies and how should I say, most most people capable of using their brains. It was you know, climate change was an issue, but 
back then we were uh, discussing with uh, uh, governments and and, and 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 other stakeholders about the right carbon price. And as I said, you know, all regional and certainly all national governments in the developed world, at least, were aware of this. So, you know, we could be much further down the track than we actually are. And, and the only thing is, you know, this latest IPCC report is worse than expected. It's not only that we are far off the right track, but we've actually, you know, made it worse. We would need a 45% cut in, emission, in, in emissions by 2030. And uh, yet this report made clear that if we keep doing the way we are doing, that uh, the emissions will go up by 16% rather than reducing by 45%. How optimistic are you that we can reach our goals for net zero as a as a global community? Well, I think it's, you know, that's one of the, if not the greatest uh, challenge that mankind has ever faced. But uh, um, so there, there is a chance that uh, we can get there, but uh, it'll, it'll take a lot of uh, work and will uh, also require significant changes in the way we do things. And by we, I, I assume you mean consumers, businesses, governments, NGOs, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's really got to be a team effort to get there, right? Well, yes. I mean, you know, you know, recent history has shown that we are capable of dealing with such environmental threats. You know, just one example would be the Montreal Protocol, you know, where we sort of actually were successful in managing and reducing substances that uh, destroyed our ozone layer and, you know, one of the layers in the atmosphere. Uh, another one was that, uh, um, you know, here in Europe, we had in the late 70s, we had a, a phenomenon called acid rain. And, uh, you know, this, this led to, to forests dying or declining, trees died because of the acidity of the rain. And this acidity stemmed from the sulfur content in fuels, oil, diesel, coal, you know, for transportation, for heating, for power generation. And uh, because of this threat, the, the sulfur content of the fuels was drastically reduced by regulations. This was implemented and the problem disappeared. So it, it's just that this time around, I think, you know, it's it affects a much wider part of society and it will require more significant changes than, got, than just getting rid of some, uh, you know, um, uh, chlorofluorocarbons or, uh, to to save the ozone layer. Sure. And just so everybody's on, uh, aware, I want to read some of the headlines from the IPC report, and maybe you can uh, uh, give a quick uh, um, your take on them when I do. The first one is. Uh, the IPC report says it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean, and land. Widespread and rapid changes in the atmosphere, ocean, cryosphere, and biosphere have occurred. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I agree. I, I don't think there is anything there is anything to add to this. It's just um, it just points out the you know the significance and the scale of the change that um, has already occurred and uh, that we are likely likely to experience in in the future. 
Definitely. And so this one, the next one was really eye opening for me where it says the scale of recent changes across the climate system as a whole and the present state of many aspects of the climate system are unprecedented over many centuries to many thousands of years. That really uh, opened my eyes. Um, yes, James. Well, I think, you know, that's an important aspect maybe worth uh, you know commenting a little further from my side because what what this means is also that you know over the past so many years so many thousand years the climate was relatively stable always plus minus one degree maximum one and a half degrees change and before that there was the period you know the climate changed significantly but this also meant huge natural events you know from a human perspective you would call them catastrophes so in turn this means that if we push the climate to change beyond those 1.5 degrees there will again be those disastrous changes occurring disasters for mankind so we are currently pushing it to the edge and for for people not so familiar with these topics you know one example or a great source of easy to understand information is actually uh, a, a documentary by David Attenborough. It's called Breaking Boundaries, the Science of Our Planet. I really recommend people who are interested in this to, uh, to watch this documentary. And that kind of leads into the next point they make. And this is something that uh, I know you've seen this in Germany and we've seen this in the U.S. Uh, this past summer. It says human-induced climate change is already affecting many weather and climate extremes in every region around the globe. Evidence of observed changes in extremes such as heat waves, heavy precipitation, droughts, and tropical cyclones, and in particular, their attribution to human influence has strengthened since, since the fifth assessment report. And I know out west, we are in the United States, we're dealing with wildfires, many, many wildfires, and we've had uh, hurricanes and so forth. And you've dealt with those types of uh, weather events in Germany too, right? Yes, I think, you know, many people have experienced this already firsthand and, and, and a lot more have at least seen it on the news. So, I mean, it, it's just a confirmation between the last report, uh, assessment report of the IPCC and this one, that uh, the, the connections, the, the correlation has become uh, more certain and the frequency has uh, become uh, you know, much, much higher than what it used to be and on this trajectory to go up into the future that, that really means that there is a, a sufficient reason to try everything to uh, reduce our carbon emissions definitely and so was there anything in this report that really caught your eye as i was not expecting to see that yeah well, I think as I as I said before, I was sort of you know disappointed by the, the magnitude of our failure that we're so far off that the track we should we should be on. Of course, it's easier to say we need to change than to actually doing it. I mean, how many people, as individuals, are conscious about it and are actually committed to reduce their carbon emissions? This is probably less than one in a hundred, and it would need ninety nine in a hundred. But I'm thinking about our clients who we are assisting in calculating their emissions, setting a baseline, identifying and then also quantifying the potentials for reducing those emissions, developing targets, reduction targets and helping them to actually getting there. 
So, you know, net zero, no emissions in 2050 is what is required. And this is a, a huge challenge. And for many of our clients, even if they are willing and visionary, not all the required solutions and measures are certain to achieve the expected goals and some actions that would be required are not even inside or are not realistic from today's point of view. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done and a lot of ingenuity and uh, and 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 main brain power will have to go into this in the in the years to come. And it's interesting. I was talking to uh, Mark Binder recently. Um, he also is a, a, a part of Sphera, and he was telling me that he thought that we will need to go beyond net zero um, to get to where we need to be. And I know he was trying to be a little provocative, but I think there's a, a bit of truth in that. What do you, what do you think? Well, beyond beyond net zero means actually removing greenhouse gases or carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. This can be done by some companies, but and not by others. There are some technologies available available to actually uh, store carbon. Some which make more sense to me, and others which make less sense to me. I mean, you know, there's CO two can be stored underground, but it can also be stored in products which have a long or very long lifetime. So there are, there are also some ideas of using chemicals to bind uh, carbon dioxide in the oceans, which uh, seems a bit odd to me, but you know, the biggest potentials are in the way we manage our lands, our nature, the, our countrysides, our soils, the farms, the forests. These are huge sinks and that's, you know, sinks, uh, reservoirs of, of carbon, both in the above ground parts of the plants as well as in the below ground parts of the plants and also in the soils. So even small changes to, to the management of these ecosystems can either absorb or release enormous amounts of greenhouse gases. So these to me are the big levers to go beyond zero, which doesn't mean that increasing efforts of some industry you know, are not worth being supported. No. Tell me a little bit about the evolution of sustainability in terms of um, how how much you think companies are focused on sustainability now versus when you started. And do you think that um, like the IPC report and IPCC report and the upcoming COP26 conference could push that to another level? Uh, well. I think you know it's a, it's become a general trend. I'm not uh, so sure how much the IPCC report and 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 those activities are contributing. You know, certainly significant, but it's not the only thing. I think that you know that in general there's a substantial change happening in perceptions and in public awareness over the last three years, and especially since the start of the COVID pandemic, this has increased exponentially. When I think back to the 35 years I've been in this game, we've mostly supported visionaries. And also, you know, with every little economic downturn, it was the environment that, and, and, and uh, measures to protect the environment, which were the first things to be thrown out the window. And this time it's exactly the opposite. You know, the economy took a little downturn or significant downturn in, in some of the countries, but the demand for and the activities in sustainability, improving sustainability in performance and reducing carbon emissions has increased exponentially. So that's a, 
you know, that sort of makes me feel a little bit optimistic that now we are on the right track, but at the start of it, really. Certainly. And one uh, concept that we talk a lot about in sustainability nowadays is scope three. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's still some confusion on what scope three actually is. So as an expert in sustainability, how would you define scope three for our listeners and how easy or how difficult would it be for companies to uh, deal with scope three? Well, scopes are sort of a way of categorizing greenhouse gas emissions of companies. Scope one and scope two are the emissions that either occur, you know, on site by burning fuels and things like that, or by consuming electricity. And scope three are all other emissions that occur at any point in a company's value chain. And that's like that could be or that uh, often are emissions associated with the production of materials or substances that the company purchases to produce whatever it is that they are producing. And there's a number of other activities uh, that are also, you know, uh, uh, generating those scope three activities, which are defined as activities over which a company only has a limited influence. It also goes on to include emissions that may occur during the use of the products that those, com that those companies uh, have, uh, uh, you know, produced and sold. Uh, up to you know the end of life emissions that, that are, uh, could be associated with uh, uh, when those uh, products are at the end of their useful life. So that's the concept of scope three, and uh, uh, the reason why companies are more and more considering these is that they will, that they have a better orientation with you know what is their place within the economy within their you know suppliers and their consumers and business partners to see where it is most relevant to look at and manage emissions across the value chain so I sort of think about it as um, so if we're making say a widget company the company's making a widget and you really have to look at every material that goes into the widget and how it got there and how it was produced and the, the emissions is that sort of on the right track that's 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 this that's the principle of it and what you have just described james is basically the product side of things and now if you Add all products together. You know, you you sell I don't know a million of a million of those widgets, but you also sell product B's and product C as well. And you add them all together, then you come to those scope three emissions, um, which um, which 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 sort of are nothing else but uh, the emissions of if you like the life cycle of the company rather than the life cycle of the product. So just to play uh, devil's advocate, so if I'm a company, why do I care what my vendors are doing in terms of sustainability? Well, first of all, well, that's it's not the same for each and every company. And that's why we always try to 
you know, identify and quantify the business benefits for a company when establishing their baseline emissions and setting up their carbon management strategy. You know, what are the business benefits? For some, it is that they would uh, like to reduce the risks within their supply chain. You know, what would happen if, uh, you know, being able to quantify what, what would happen if uh, a carbon tax was uh, introduced at some country or another. Uh, for others, it is uh, more a thing of, uh, uh, you know, boosting their reputation. For others, it is again to, or, or, you know, one of the effects is to make the company more attractive to top talent because they like to work for companies who know that, who, who, who are dealing with those issues. Um, for others, it is, you know, to, uh, uh, protect or increase their market share. So, you know, there's always uh, different aspects, but that's one of the things that I believe needs to be part of, of any strategy because a sustainability strategy cannot be a standalone thing. It needs to be incorporated. It needs to be completely ingrained into the business strategy. It needs to become part of it. Definitely. That's really interesting. Um, so I want to talk briefly about the upcoming UN Climate Change Conference, um, COP26, which is uh, coming up in a little bit over a month from now. So what are your hopes coming out of the content, the conference? Well, I mean, uh, this, this, this conference, they are uh, have four stated goals and if, if you don't mind me just mentioning two or no, three you know first is to secure a global net zero by mid-century and keep the 1.5 degrees within reach uh, the next one is to adapt to protect communities and natural habitats the next one is mobilize finance and finance sorry and the last one is work together to uh, uh, to deliver and, and, and out of all of those points, I think it's the first one, you know, secure global net zero by the mid-century and keep the 1.5 degrees within reach. For, for sure, it's 30 years from now, so there is some time, but that's part of the challenge. It's far away in many minds as well. And when companies uh, uh, develop their carbon management and reduction strategies and plans, uh, then they are always setting or required, even required to under, under standards, under existing standards and also under standards that are currently being developed or finalized, their companies are required to set the intermediate targets to make sure that they are on track, not just the target for 2050, but one for the next five years, for the next 10 years and so forth. And uh, this is, I believe, the greatest challenge to get the countries to commit to those targets, to, to commit to intermediate targets, to, to see that they are actually on the track. Another challenge I think will be, you know, it says, you know, adapt to protect communities and natural habitats. And uh, there was an agreement from one earlier COP where a countries made the, you know, the, uh, uh, the commitment to, developed countries made the commitment to come up with a, a large amount of money to support developing countries in trying to adapt to the changes. And this money and this sum was never actually brought together. And uh, right now we have um, 
uh, the I think it's the annual General Assembly of the United Nations uh, in 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 New York, and it was only yesterday that uh, the British Premier Boris Johnson he said, well, you know, the chance that this will ever happen, that this commitment that was already made a few years ago, uh, that the, the countries bring this money together to support developing countries, nations, uh, uh, the chances are, I think, six out of ten, he said. So, not very optimistic. Sure. If you had an opportunity to address uh, these leaders, what would you tell them? Well, I don't think I would have anything to add to what uh, the executive summary of this of this uh, sixth assessment uh, report uh, has brought together. You know, this is out of the thousands of pages of this uh, of those scientific uh, documents and and which which make up this assessment report. The executive summary, you know, it's a bit long. Forty forty two pages is already long for an executive summary. But this contains everything um, leaders need to know. And if you wanted to condense it even further, then I will probably guide uh, uh, the people to uh, the address that Antonio Guterres uh, made to the leaders of the nations uh, in association with the release of this report. Um, before we go through final thoughts, I just have a uh I'm just curious, who do you think can make the most impact on sustainability? Is it consumers uh, kind of pressuring businesses to do more? Is it businesses taking the lead? Is it uh, world leaders? Who is the catalyst for change, the change we need to create a safer, more sustainable world? I don't think uh, there is one specific catalyst or that, that I could uh, you know say this is one of those groups that you mentioned will be the catalyst I think it needs to be a joint effort it's it's increasingly in the minds of people it will be a joint effort or maybe I'll, I'll give you an example you know maybe 30 years ago it was uh, mainly governments uh, making the first steps towards a an improved sustainability performance by introducing regulations which uh, uh, forbid a few activities that were really, really damaging. But then over time, it was sort of businesses who took over, large corporations with visionaries at their top. They took over the lead and they were far ahead of government regulations. And consumers, of course, have also a significant role to play. But all in all, it will need to be a combination. That's fantastic. Um, any final thoughts on uh, the IPCC report or COP26 and uh, maybe what businesses can do to make real change? Well, a couple of thoughts, if I, if I may, James. One is, you know, the climate change it will not destroy our planet. I have no concerns at all about the future of our planet. But if we don't act now, it will be a different planet. And it's a threat to to mankind, to humanity. And uh, what can we do? You know, many people, in, including management boards, supervisory boards, and politicians, and, and consumers alike, are realizing that 
improved sustainability performance, including a low carbon economy, uh, is essential to future-proof our societies and, and the companies. So that's what gives me hope that we will be able to steer clear of, of the worst. But in terms of threats to societies, uh, to countries, uh, potential humanitarian disasters and so forth, this is definitely one of the, if not the biggest challenge that mankind has ever faced. Well said. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It was really an interesting topic, and I thank you for your time. Thank you, James, and have a nice day. This concludes this episode of Sphera Now. For more content on topics such as these, we encourage you to visit sphera.com, S-P-H-E-R-A.com. While there, feel free to click contact and submit feedback on this podcast or suggest topics you'd like to see us cover. Thank you, and have a great rest of your day.